Merry Christmas, Hayden Bible Church. Boy, what a treat to be together on Christmas morning. Thank you for not wearing your pajamas this morning. It's good to see you guys cleaned up. Praise God. I already asked a couple of the kids about this, but children of all ages, how many of you opened presents last night? Your Christmas Eve people. Don't be ashamed. How many of you already opened presents this morning? How many of you have been forced to wait? <laughs> good mix, good mix. You know, um, when, when, I was, when I was a boy, um, our family always opened one gift on Christmas Eve. I don't know who came up with this. As a kid, I didn't like it at all. Um, but for many reasons, including that, Christmas Eve was such a wonderful time for me as a youngster. Um, but it also began um, the longest night of the year. Uh, because, I mean, you know how it goes, right? You, you just lay awake all Christmas Eve. I, I just couldn't wait to... Um, Wake up mom and dad, you know, really, really early sometimes. Um, and, you know, to be a Christian, are you a Christian? Yeah. To, to be a Christian is to live between two great joys like that. Think, think of the, the wonder that we're celebrating, the thrill of salvation, um, the, the new birth given to us by God's grace is a gift that really is too marvelous for words. We, we, we could meet all day singing, sharing testimony, and not exhaust the wonders of what God has given us in salvation. Um, and yet once we've received this gift, and, and I pray that you have, once you've received this gift of salvation, um, another season of anticipation begins. Christians, listen, so much more lies ahead for us, we who are in Christ. The best is yet to come. And as it turns out, God's people are meant to live in light of this certain return of the king. The same Jesus who came into our world, you know, Bethlehem's baby, if you will, is coming again in great power and glory to reign as king over all the earth forever. So with God's help this morning, we'll try to grasp both of those promises, the reality of what is ours in Christ now and the wonder of what awaits us when the king returns. We're finding Christmas in the book of Revelation this morning, believe it or not. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned, um, turns out the whole book is to do with Christmas. Uh, we had no trouble finding Christmas in Genesis, remember? Um, and, and here it is now in Revelation. Let's just look at the text uh, we're in this morning. Revelation 11, beginning with verse 15. You ready? Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. I want us to just notice 
some similarities between the first advent, the, the Lord's first coming, and his anticipated second coming. When the Christ child was born in Bethlehem, angels proclaimed the good news, didn't they? And they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And now we're told in John's apocalypse that at the Lord's return, the second advent, another thunderous chorus will be heard from heaven. Loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, now why do I stress the words heaven and world and forever? Well, it's in our our kids' listening guide for today for sure, so there's that. There's a tip for you. But you know what? It ought to be in all of our listening guides, so to speak. Why? Because Christians live toward a day when all distinction between what is heavenly and what is worldly will be removed forever, erased forever. And we can't even really get our heads around the enormity of what this means. But think of it just in the, in the itty-bitty details of life. There is a day coming when there won't be such a thing as Christian music and secular music. What a weird world that is from heaven's perspective. There, there will no longer be like Christian books and films and all the rest of the stuff. That's God-less or, or, or doesn't honor, doesn't glorify God. No more smorgasbord of false religions. People are running around trying to decide what, which truth is theirs. Oh, there's one truth. No debates over whether a particular government or nation you know, ever was or is now Christian. That's all gone when the Lord returns. No more awkward conversations at holiday meals. Is, is it okay to mention Jesus? Is that going to be a weird thing? That's all done when the king returns. Aren't you looking forward to this? Heaven's king, Jesus, will reign over the earth visibly, physically, completely, and permanently. This is the future, Christian, that you are meant to be living toward today. Jesus is bringing heaven to this earth, a redeemed humanity, a renewed earth, all for the glory of God and all for the joy of his people. I ask you on this Christmas morning, are you one of his people? Do you have a sense of that? Do you know know what that is? Does your conscience testify? Because today really is like we just sang, isn't it? A a bleak midwinter in which all creation groans. We're not the only ones grumbling and complaining on this earth. Creation itself groans under the strain of sin's curse. A world in darkness, frozen like a stone, especially last week, right? Um, but, but what is Christmas? Think of what we just said. Light is breaking in a stable for a throne. The birth of a king who shall reign forevermore. Listen, every Christmas, every time we celebrate like this, the Lord's first advent, we celebrate as well the hope, the reality of his certain second coming, his second advent. Every last corner of the earth will be under his rule as he reigns with his people. Are you you under his reign now? Is he your king now? This, This king of kings, lord of lords? And you say, well, I'm in church on Christmas Sunday. Good heavens. What? I'm not asking you that. 
Now for just a few minutes, and by the way, that's that the sermon's starting now, so just don't count that against me. But j- j- just for the next few minutes, I'm sort of teasing, but not really. Um, let's just unwrap the implications of this second coming. Did you notice the word covenant in that passage that we read? If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been in a, in a short Advent series called The Covenants of Christmas. We have a, a covenant-keeping God. It turns out God keeps his promises. Um, his people, not so much, but God keeps his promises. And, and God's covenant is reflected all throughout human history in some of the covenants that we've looked at in Genesis, Second Samuel, for example, um, this covenant that the Father made with the Son to redeem humanity, to erase sin's curse, to, to renew creation, to renew his image bearers, all empowered by the Holy Spirit way back in time, before there was time. And here in Revelation, we read of the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. The scripture says the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. Here is John the apostle. God has given him a a, a glimpse of redemptive future, if you will, the future, the end end of all things. And he says, hey, this, this covenant thing has come to its fullness. Remember the covenant of works with Adam? What what, what was the covenant of works? God said, um, be fruitful, multiply, rule the earth. Uh, You're you're my stewards, you and Eve and your descendants. You're you're to be the regents of, of the earth. And the only thing is, is you can't decide for yourselves what's right and what's wrong. You don't get to decide what sin is. So stay away from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we, we know what happened, right? In, in, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. We're, we're, we're born under this curse and in need of rescue. But God loves his people so much that he's promised to get rid of sin's curse. Remember that from Genesis 3? In the same breath that the cursed is, curse is pronounced, God promises redemption. One day all the sin around us, all of the sin in us will be gone. That's why Jesus came the first time. He came to destroy the works of the devil, didn't he? Is is he destroying the works of the devil in you? Is, Is he killing off the sin nature in you because he he does this in all of his kids. God does. And God's rescuing love is is this promise that we we saw made in Genesis and then we, we saw it pictured in all of the different covenants that we looked at, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, uh, in greater and greater detail. And I won't retrace all of that except to remind you of these things. Christ is the only ark of safety from God's wrath. Are you in Christ? So I'm in a church. It has not to do with that. Are you in Christ? Christ is the true and faithful Israel. He's the sacrifice provided as our substitute. Remember Abraham, Isaac, that thing? Um, Christ is the promised seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the world are blessed. And Christ is the greater David. He's the eternal shepherd king whose reign on earth with his people will never cease. And Isaiah 9 says, will never cease its increase. How amazing is that? There, there, there never will be a sense in eternity where, where you look at it all and experience it all and, and, and have a sense of, well, that's it. Will never be the case. You say, well, what's that like? I haven't a clue. So the angels of Revelation 11 are now proclaiming this second advent that is anticipated 
in the coming of Christ. Verse 15, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation, as many of you know, uh, among other things, um, gives us a a glimpse of redemptive history in um, a series of visions. And, and there are seals and, and bowls and, and trumpets and um, describing similar events from different perspectives. And, and, and this last trumpet sounding, the seventh trumpet, how many of you remember the number seven is, it's, it's to do with completion, right? This, this is the end of it all. The seventh trumpet sounding is is the great crescendo of human history. The king has returned. And this is one of these times where you just stop and and ask yourself, okay, how how big is my Jesus? How big is your Jesus? Well, he's the one I cry out to when I need to pass the test. He's the one who, who rides shotgun in case the roads are slippery. No, that's, that's, a, that's a Jesus of your own imagining. That's an idol. The Jesus who is, is God, become man. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Don't ever let somebody tell you, hey, have you, have you uh, decided to make Jesus Lord yet? Turns out he is. He's not waiting for you to measure that. And this king, God the Son, born from Mary's virgin womb into humanity, grew to be a man, the only perfect man that's ever lived, the second Adam, the last Adam, and, and he lived the life that you owe to God. You're created to be an image bearer of God. Now, you've not done the best job of it, and neither have I. Jesus did. And this Jesus took that holy life, that perfect godly life, if you will, and was nailed to Calvary's cross. I mean, think about this. The, you know, moms and dads with, with little kids, you know, little soft, cuddly arms and an infant, that's, that's what we picture uh, on Christmas Eve in particular, isn't it? Th- those arms grew stronger and rougher. You know, Jesus in his humanity, a carpenter's son, and yet no man's ever were so strong as those of God the Son stretched out on a cross for sinners, for you, for me paying the debt we owe our creator, our substitute. So here in Revelation 11, John the apostle tells us that he he hears into the future, if you will, the heavens themselves, angelic choirs and and, and the church, as we'll see, um, declaring the wonder of it all, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That language in uh, verse 15 is, is kind of Old Testament language. You, the, 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 the title Lord, we normally associate with Jesus, right? Because we spend most of our time in the New Testament, most of us. Um, here it's referring to God the Father. Who, who is Jesus? He, he is the Lord's Christ. He is the Lord's anointed king that might remind you 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 who are from hbc in light of the time we've spent in the psalms not all that long ago it might remind you of psalm 2 wait what does psalm 2 say why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. What is David talking about? Well, he's describing from heaven's perspective what Adam's race has always done. 
always plotting against God. Kingdom after kingdom throughout human history. From Babel, remember Pastor Sean's message not too long ago? From Babel to Egypt to Rome to the nations today, even this nation, this this nation quote-unquote under God, been plotting against God for decades. And history really is a sad record of men and women trying to edit God out of their lives and stick him back in on their terms, trying to cast away the cords that tie them to the God in whose image they've been created. But a day is coming, says John, when all of that plotting, all of that vain scheming in the kingdoms of this world and among individuals, men and women, made in God's image, will come to an end. Psalm 2 continues in verse 8, Ask of me, says the Father to the Son, and I will give you the, the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So way back in the Psalms, there's this vision of the the culmination of of human history. And it's been prophesied down through the ages. It's all over your Bible. Some of you looked at Daniel 2.44, for example. It says what? The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. And it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So that's, what, that's what Revelation 11 is all about. It's all of these promises that the Bible has been picturing and declaring in all of redemptive history have reached a climax. This is, this is the crescendo of it all. In verse 15 you notice that it's past tense. The the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Why why is it past tense? When you see that in Bible prophecy, it's meant to remind us that when God promises something, even something yet in the future, it's as good as done. In the same way, the Old Testament believers looked ahead to the coming of Messiah, you know, the, 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 the babe born in Bethlehem, believing, hey, this, this is as good as done. So the Christian, the believer today, is meant to look ahead to this second coming. Your whole life is meant to be informed by this. It's as good as done. The king is coming. And now if you read, are you still listening? If, if you read um, Matthew 1, 2, and 3, as, as was suggested last week, um, you probably noticed that as the, as the early church, as, as Jewish Christians were like, who, who is this Jesus? Matthew, tell, tell us, who is this Jesus once more? And, and he says to them in, in Matthew 1, 1, well, he's, he's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. In other words, he is the one, Jesus is the one in whom all of these promises, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, are, find their fulfillment in Jesus. Even when you get to Matthew 2, that's one of your favorite chapters because you've got the, the, the wise men in there, right? We have Christmas cards that have the wise men on them. Wise men still seek him. That, I think that's a wonderful card. Well, who, who were these magi? Well, they, they were the, the kingmakers of the ancient world, weren't they? Nobody became king in Persia unless the wise guys said so. They had great power and authority. That's why Herod's knees were shaking when they came into town saying, where is the one born king of the Jews? That was a serious problem for him. So all throughout Matthew's gospel. You get, you get to chapter 3 in Matthew, and, and, and Jesus' um, um, forerunner, John the Baptist, and, and then Jesus himself say what? The kingdom is already here. Now pay attention, we're going in a direction. The kingdom is already here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, 
because the king has come the first time. The king who is coming again, never to leave again physically, has already come the first time. Your ticket into this kingdom of heaven is Christ. Allegiance to Christ. Belief in Christ. Surrender to his love and grace. In other words, you can't look to Adam and think, boy, I think I can do better than that guy. No, you're, you're going to have to be done with self-rule. Self-rule is what started this mess in the first place, right? One day, the war against God by nations and individuals, the scripture says, will come to an end. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And some of you are looking at me like, good heavens, we we came, it's Christmas morning. And what is this thing? Some of you have a terrible poker face that way. What, What is this about? Listen. You will never delight in the good news unless you understand why you need it. The king is coming again. Well, let's get to the good news for God's people. Notice in Revelation 11 once more the glad response of God's people at the king's return. Verses 17 and 18. We give you thanks O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned, the nations were angry, your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged, that you should reward your servants and the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Who, who is saying all of this? The 24 elders, think of the, the church throughout all of history, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, all praising the king as he comes for what he has done. And, and there's a phrase in verse 17 that in um, more modern translations is not there. It's that little phrase, who is to come. Why should that not be there? Because the king will have come then, right? When Christ returns, his authority will no longer be despised or even resisted. There'll be no such thing as that. And you say, well, I I can't imagine that now. You should see the workplace I'm in, the hostility that's there. You should come over to my house for Christmas even. See how that goes. It's all very tense. And in the future... In redemptive future, when the king returns, that's all done. His authority will no longer be despised or even resisted. And it is true that Christ rules over all things now from heaven. Do you realize that you and I, as God's people, we don't believe in circumstances. We believe in providence. The king rules over all things now, but invisibly, right? And there is a day coming when Christ returns, where the rule of God will no longer be hidden. There won't be any debates about who's in charge. Christ's rule will be made manifest, exerted without restraint, seen and experienced as as it really is, no longer believed by faith, but, but fully realized. And Christians, we, we long for this day, do we not? We long for this day because the one we love, Jesus, is finally given the adoration that he is due. The, the, the one we love is finally given the honor that is due him on the earth, every corner of it. Christ will receive every ounce of glory due him. 
And, and we who are in Christ will enjoy every aspect of his perfect rule without any taint of sin forever. And, and you might be thinking, well, what, what's it like though? I mean, these are kind of broad, general, almost ethereal descriptions, and they are. What, what, what's it going to be like? Well, let me, let me, one, I don't know, okay, uh, but I intend to fill my time. So, um, but, so the, I mean, the quick answer is, I don't know. Uh, but to say that we're not certain of all the details is not the same thing as saying we don't know anything about it. But So let me explain it this way. Um, in our congregation right now, don't look around. In our, I, don't, I don't know if they're here or not. Um, we have three couples who are engaged to be married. That, that I'm aware of, maybe there's more. Um, and I think that's just wonderful, don't you? Um, and, and the thing of it is, is um, I, I've noticed in, in, all, in, in these three couples that um, none of them got engaged and had a party with their friends and then parted ways and said, boy, engagement is just awesome. That is, no, no they, they immediately begin living toward the wedding. They, they immediately begin living toward married life together as long as they have life. You get, you get my meaning, right? An engagement, as wonderful as it is, it doesn't hold a candle to marriage, right? Take it from a married guy. This life right now, Christian, is like the engagement. The, 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 the marriage, the, the culmination, the, the consummation of it all awaits us at Christ's return. So it is for us at the second coming. The, this long-anticipated absence of sin in us and sin around us our heavenly home prepared for us, us prepared for that heavenly home, that's our future. And what else can be said of this? Again, I'm going to fill my time. What, what else can be said of this? Some of you kids probably are drawing pictures of your favorite Christmas gifts from years past. And it's possible some of the parents are too by now, I don't know. But that's, that's, that's your private information, all right? Um, Although, kids, I would love to see some of your pictures after the service. Adults, not so much, all right? Um, look what gifts are in store for you on Christmas morning, if you will, when, when the king returns. Look, look at verse 18. That you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. Now, any believer is a saint, right? People don't make themselves saints. That's a work of God by grace, right? So every believer is a saint in that sense. And every believer is a God-fearer or a God-reverer in that sense. Small and great will be rewarded for anything done in this life for the king, for his glory, with his heart, with his enablement, Anything whatsoever, all obedience, all sacrifice, all persevering faith, all gospel labor is to be rewarded. So in this, you know, midwinter um, um, environment that we live in now in this life, we have plenty of days where we think, man, this is rough sledding sometimes, this life that we're living. And, and your king says to you in his word this morning, my reward is with me. And he'll not be stingy. And you think, well, that, that must mean church stuff. No, it doesn't mean church stuff. It means changing diapers. The 3,000th diaper that you change to the glory of God because he saved you and he's put it in your heart to point those kids to Jesus. The king says, I'll reward that. Nobody else sees it. I see it. Nobody else, ca I care. Driving nails in wood to support your family and to bear witness to your king, however he allows you to do it, he sees that. That'll be rewarded. 
enduring hardship by faith. Some of you know by experience more about hardship in life than I, 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 I could ever understand or care to learn, frankly. The king sees that. The king sustains you in that. And the king will reward you for that. I should have told you something. You're still listening. I should have told you something else about um, when I was a kid. A a few days before Christmas, I have to be careful how I say this because my father is here, but um, (laughs) the stories get better over the years. I think think we all understand that, but... um, I remember, you know, I love mom and dad, and I, and, I, and I remember I would go to each of them privately and say, um, and kids know what this is, I'd really like to get something for mom. I'd really like to get something for dad. And they're excited about it too, and so, so off you go, right? And that's why your, your, your grandparents' houses are decorated with the weirdest stuff, because a long time ago, somebody thought that was just a treasure, Right? Um, and, and it is because it came from you. That's what makes it a treasure. But my point is this. Um, my dad would give me his money to go do that. What a scandal that is, right? I mean, really, what a, what a scandal that is. And so my heart was sincere, was genuine. I, I couldn't mean that love more in giving that gift, but it was supplied by another. So it is with you and your king. We serve him with a heart of love and sincerity. This work of grace is is active, alive in us. But what can we give that he has not first supplied? This is the biggest scandal ever. When, When the king says to his own, I will reward you. In fact, the only way anyone here gains admission into this kingdom of Christ It's because we've been conquered by his love in the first place, right? It's all on him. And the scandal of his great love continues in that we're to be rewarded for all that he has done in us, all that he has done through us by the indwelling of his spirit. Rewarded for that which his own resources have supplied. Wow. When Christ returns, he'll reward his people for the lives they've lived for him. Notice it says, from least to greatest. From least to greatest. Now that's earthy language, isn't it? But, but think of what John the Apostle is, is seeing. He's seeing the reality that those who feel that they are um, unnoticed, insignificant, Um, nobody cares parts of the kingdom. There there is no such thing. All are rewarded. None will be missing from the company of the rewarded. When Christ returns, there'll be no such thing as a believer who, oh, the king forgot the reward. And elsewhere in Scripture... And, and we're starting to wrap up now, so don't, don't get real squirmy, but it's close, all right? Um, elsewhere in Scripture, we read of the, the, the possession of this new heaven and new earth that God promises at Christ's return. Did any of you look at Isaiah 65? A couple of you? Two people in the back did. Fantastic. Um, Isaiah 65 says that these gifts are not, you know, so if you've got in your mind this image of of little um, winged creatures playing harps and all of that, just get rid of that. That's not biblical. Um, It's from the Hallmark Company, the makers of cards. It's not to do with scripture at all. This new heaven and new earth, the the perfected creation is very, very earthy. Listen to Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Amen. 
But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Notice what you're told here. There's a lot going on here, but just notice the, 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 the big crayon stuff. God's future for you, Christian, is one of gladness and rejoicing forever. We don't even know what to do with that because we, well, there's nothing comparable to that in this life. It always ends, right? I mean, Christmas Day always ends for little kids with a, with a loud thud, doesn't it? Not only will, be, will we perfectly delight in the king, but we'll enjoy his great love for us in ways that we cannot right now. Anybody else here look forward to enjoying the love of God without being self-focused at the same time? Anybody else? I'm just spitballing here. No longer will we weep over our failure to love him as we ought. Lord, I love you, but I, I, I long to love you more. No longer will we weep over any sorrow that is native to sin's curse. The curse is gone. And then says Isaiah, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. And it's perfectly fine to read three verses like that and say, that's weird. What is that about? Well, here is God's prophet using hyperbole, using word pictures, uh, to, to tell of a time, the new heavens and the new earth, when the whole order of things now is totally undone. Age is no longer relevant. Amen? Age is no longer relevant because we will not age in life on the new earth. The whole order of things, aging, dying too young, That's an expression we use these days, isn't it? Someone else benefiting from the labors of our hands. That happens today, doesn't it? Work that is drudgery rather than sheer delight. All of that is gone because the curse is gone forever. Verse 24 of Isaiah 65, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. There's there's no more distance in fellowship with God. There's no more experiencing in in our weaker moments. Does God even hear this, this prayer? How far away from me are you, God? We think that in in our fallen humanity. That's all gone. Because Jesus in his humanity is present always. Visibly, physically. Physically. And, and personally with his people. We'll speak with him and we'll speak with one another as we're relating to one another now, but, but as perfected people. The mystery of it all to me is that we'll actually recognize each other still as perfected people. The king of kings who condescended to redeem his people delights to be with us for all eternity. Think think on that for just a moment. This gift that is unwrapped at the second coming, the realized reality, God's delight to be with you, the father delighting in the company of his children, And then verse 25, and kids, this is, the, this is the picture part. This will help you. 
The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. There's so much there, but again, just let's just grab the, the big crayon stuff. I won't have to walk through the woods wondering if the cougar that somebody spotted last week is now sneaking up behind me, right? And if it is, we'll get along just fine. Uh, Pam will be able to walk through really tall grass and not have to worry about snakes, that they'll mean us no harm. Uh, the, the, the snake as, as the emblem, really, of the curse is gone. When Christ returns, all turmoil and tears, all disease and death itself will be forever vanquished. Now, we could go on and on and on, but I love you, so we won't. But I, but I want to encourage you as we end our time together on this Christmas morning. You and I are meant to live in light of this second coming of the king. This is our inheritance, and, we, and we've only scratched the surface. This is, this is the future promised to all who have sought refuge in the ark that is Jesus Christ. This this is the salvation that is kept by the power of God for his people, as Peter says. And so today, we do rejoice in this salvation won for us by Christ who came and lived from Bethlehem to Calvary on our behalf. But we also celebrate the Savior's certain return again. Think about it this way. All that men and women were created to do, um, rule, relate, sing, create, manage and build and love and, and worship, all of that will be done in perfection for God's glory one day and also our joy. Unending peace and joy await the king's people. Now let me, um, now there's your Merry Christmas, right? Let me, let me end with this. Um, notice back in Revelation 11 verse 18, it's, it's not all joy. I beg you to hear this. This is not the part where you check out. It's not all joy. Verse 18 says, Christ will return to the loud choruses of his people uh, who, who know that he has come um, to destroy those who destroy the earth. What, what in the world is that talking about? Some sort of environmental thing? Well, we'll keep reading. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake and great hail. How many of you know the lightnings and thunderings and the earthquakes in John's apocalypse are the, the backdrop, the soundtrack of judgment? They remind us that not all will see the king return as savior. Many will see the king return as judge. Friend, listen, if, if you know there is a time coming when all rebellion against Christ will end, when everything will be brought under his rule, will you not surrender to his gracious rule now? There is no more loving king than our Jesus. There is no more tender king than our Christ. Amen. Surrender to his grace now or surrender to his wrath for all eternity later. And so in the midst of this glad chorus that we are privileged to, to, to look ahead to, there is also a reminder for those of us who, who know the Lord 
What, what do we sometimes sing? Go tell it on a mountain that Jesus Christ is born. You think the world needs to know about the king who came to save? The king who's coming again to welcome his own into his presence and to judge? The roots of this final redemption are in us now. We who belong to Christ. There's a little heaven in us now. I was talking to somebody before the service who just seems like this is such a precious family time. This is even different than the family time I spend with my blood relatives who don't know the Lord. Why is that? Well, because it's a work of the Spirit of God. There's a little bit of heaven in us now, isn't there? And we delight to live as those who are looking ahead to home. And I trust we also delight to live in light of home coming to us when the king returns. What did we just sing? The greatness of his reign will never end. Praise God. How can we not give him what little our lives are today in light of all that he's given for us and promises to us for all eternity? Now the kids are going to come up here while I pray. So let's do that now. Lord, we love you so much, but it's only because you loved us first. And Lord, I thank you that you came to save. And I thank you that you're coming again to claim your own. You're coming again to renew your world that you might reign with your people forever. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to keep our gaze on this inheritance that is ours. Help us not to get bogged down in the bleak midwinter that is so often part of this life. We're the people of the king. And Lord, I pray that your gospel would often be on our lips and seen in our living. Lord, that you might build your kingdom among us now. And we ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake.